today's sermon passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. If you have a Bible, take it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week, we as the church and Redeemer celebrated Resurrection Sunday, concluding our our one-week celebration of what we call Holy Week, which is remembering the last week in the life of Jesus. And what we very much know and um, celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus indeed is the Lord of all. And we remember that and we say that what happened in that moment on Resurrection Sunday is one of the most critical moments in all of history. And so as I was reflecting and and praying this week, I realized that we don't do, or we have not done here at Redeemer, a good job of slowing down and just considering the resurrection. Considering what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and what it was intended to communicate. So today, we're going to begin a new sermon series here at Redeemer. It's going to be called Risen Indeed. And we are going to look at passages in the Scripture that speak directly to the resurrection of Jesus and His appearing on multiple occasions um, between the resurrection and, and when He finally ascended into heaven. So we want to look at those encounters with the risen Jesus and we want to ask the question, what does the Lord want to teach us? From this. And so today we're going to start here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, kind of as a a summary of where we're going. And so this sermon is entitled Risen Savior. And, And here's the point Jesus is the Savior of the world, Jesus did die for our sins. Jesus did 
rise again for our everlasting life. The resurrection is vitally important. The resurrection is real. The resurrection happened. What we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus is our hope. And we meet Jesus through a message called the gospel. And the gospel is a message centered on the real events of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So it's really important that we believe and know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. But it's also vitally important that our confidence and our hope in Christ is moved to real trust and real faith that shapes real life. So today's message, Jesus is our hope. We meet Jesus through a message called the gospel. So let's look at this together. If you're taking notes this morning, first point, gospel message. Gospel message. This passage shows us what is central to the gospel. Now let's define some terms. Gospel is a word that literally means good news. And as it's used in the Bible, the gospel is the good news of God's plan to save sinners through Jesus Christ. As used in the scripture, the gospel is the good news of God's plan to save sinners through Jesus Christ. And what Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, does in this passage is he makes it very clear to us that at the center of the gospel is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is a message that centers on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that point is made for us very explicitly in verse 3 and following. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve, and then he's going to continue on with the appearances. But I want you to see this. The gospel message was delivered to Paul, and Paul is faithfully delivering it to others. And so what that communicates to us is that the content The substance, the subject of the gospel is vitally important. The gospel is not whatever we want it to be. The gospel is what God made it to be. And and then Paul is, is showing us these vitally important realities. First, Christ died for our sins. Second, Christ was raised on the third day. And what we're going to see as we look at this is, That Christ died, and there's a pattern. Christ died. We're going to see that he did so in accordance with the scriptures. And then there's a reinforcing reality. He was buried. The stone was put in front of the tomb. Then Christ rose on the third day. 
in accordance with the scriptures. And then there's a reinforcing reality, all of the appearances that he made to many people. And so what Paul is communicating here is that the gospel has content. It's about Jesus. It's about his death. It's about his resurrection. And we can trust it because it's always been God's plan. And we can trust it because it really happened and there's evidence of that. Our hope is not in evidence. Our hope is in God. But evidence reinforces and shows that our belief is valid. That that what we are trusting is trustworthy. And so our gospel message is this. Christ died for our sins. The scripture would tell us that it was on the cross where Jesus suffered and died that he took the penalty of human sin upon himself and took the anger and the wrath and the judgment and the penalty of that sin by dying for sinners. So the testimony of the scripture from beginning to end is that Jesus, excuse me, that humanity is sinful. Humanity is in rebellion against God. Humanity deserves God's judgment and God's anger and deserves penalty. But on the cross, Jesus took that penalty for his people. He took it away. Christ died for our sins. And so the only way that any human could ever stand before God and not stand in judgment is if Christ died for our sins. And then what Paul says is this is in accordance with the scriptures, which means it was always God's plan that God's salvation would come through God's son dying to pay the penalty for the sin of God's people. One of many, many passages we could look at proving this point is Isaiah 53. If you, if you thumb through all the scriptures, what Paul is saying is the point has always been that, that God's son would take the penalty for God's people and their sin. So Paul says, of first importance, Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture. And then he says, and that he was buried. And that kind of seems odd, right? Like Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and he was buried. Like, why is that so important? And I think the burial is so important because it's this, it's this reinforcing reality. It's this reinforcing evidence that says he really was dead. Like they put him in a tomb. They wrapped him in cloths. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb because he was dead. He wasn't just asleep. He wasn't just pretending he was dead. Christ died. And in his dying, he took the sin of God's people. Now, that's not the end of the story, because if it was, that would be a different story. The story is that he died, but then the story is that he rose. So he took our sin in his death, and then on the third day, he rose again. The rising shows that even death does not have power over Jesus. Jesus has power over sin. He has power over death. And if you can defeat death, you can defeat and have defeated all things. Jesus rose on 
the third day. So our gospel message is that Christ died for our sins and Jesus rose on the third day, showing his power over sin and his power over death. Now, I'm often asked about the third day. Because we say and we believe, and I think rightly so, Jesus died on Friday and he rose on Sunday and that certainly is not 72 hours. But, but the way the scriptures counted days, he died on Friday, that was the first day. He was in the tomb on Saturday, that's the second day. And he was still in the tomb at the beginning of Sunday, that's the third day. And he rose on the third day. Jesus rose on the third day. His resurrection paired with his death are our hope. Now, we get the same argument about the resurrection as we do the the death. It was in accordance with the Scripture. Jesus was raised by the power of the Father to always live. Uh, The word was raised there has this permanent tense to it. He, He didn't rise for a few weeks or months or years to die again, but he rose to live forever. He was raised, and it was in accordance with the Scriptures, meaning that God's plan always was for God's Son to bear the penalty of sin and to live and reign forever. Jesus is the forever Savior. He is the risen Savior. He is the risen King. Of many Scriptures that we could look at, you could look at Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11 here as one example of Christ rising according with the Scripture. So Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And then again, we get this this reinforcing reality, this, this fact that shows that Christ indeed did rise from the dead. And what Paul is going to do, beginning in verse 5, is he's going to list Numerous occasions in which Christ appeared as the resurrected Lord to show that indeed he is alive. And these are the types of encounters that we're going to be looking at in the coming coming weeks. Now this is not intended to be a comprehensive listing. It's intended to be a purposeful listing. And what, what Paul is ultimately doing is he is establishing that Christ revealed himself to his followers and to the leaders of his church, that they would pass on this message of first importance. So he says he appeared to Cephas, uh, which is just another name for Peter. So he appeared to Peter. We see this in Luke chapter 24, verse 34. It tells us he appeared to the twelve. The twelve were those close followers of Jesus who were with him almost always. At this point, Judas is obviously um, no longer with the twelve because he betrayed um, Christ and ultimately died. But but the twelve speaks to those close followers of Jesus. Jesus appeared to them, showing that he's alive. We see this in Luke 24, verse 36, and John chapter 20, verse 19. Then Paul does something very interesting. He says in verse 6, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So he says Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at once. Now we're not exactly sure, based on the scripture references, exactly where this encounter happened. But there there are some scholars who believe that this appearing to the 500 might actually be the story of Matthew 28, where Christ gives the Great Commission and appears to his followers um, in Galilee. But what's important here is not so much exactly where it happened, but that there were 500 of them. And then notice what Paul does. He says, he appeared to more than 500, most of whom are still alive. So it's, it's as if he's saying, if, if you're struggling with this idea of Christ rising from the dead, you can ask Peter. You can ask the 12. You can ask all these people who were there with their eyes and saw him. Go ask them. Then we see that he appeared to James. James is the brother of Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem church. And there's some reference to this in Galatians 1 and 2. Then Paul says he appeared to all the, all the apostles. Um, that most likely is a reference to the other leaders in the Jerusalem church. And then to Paul. He appeared to Paul himself. Paul was sent to be an apostle. It just means sent one to the Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, to see that this message of first importance reached the ends of the earth. And so what is going on in this list is, is Paul is saying the resurrection is so real that people can tell you about it. They experienced it. But he also is establishing that, that all of the important pieces of the early church had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Peter and James in the Jerusalem church. The, the twelve and the apostles. And then Paul, who was ultimately sent to the churches outside of Jerusalem, to the churches at the end of the earth, all of them had this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, which gives them this impulse and this impetus to preach that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. And the gospel is our message about our salvation in Christ. So as we think about this message, what I want you to see is that Jesus really died for sins. He really died for sins. These are This is a fact to be received, to be trusted, and to be preserved. Jesus really rose again to defeat death. This is a fact to be received, to be trusted, and to be preserved. So much so that in verse 2, Paul says, that we are to hold fast to these realities. We're to cling to them. Third, Paul makes a connection between seeing the risen Jesus and the sending and the establishing of the early church. Those who saw and believed proclaimed. The proclaiming was driven by the seeing. The proclaiming was driven by the believing.
And this is what we want to consider in the coming weeks. And it's what drives us to our second point today. Gospel pattern. There's a gospel message centering on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but there is also a pattern. A pattern of how this carries on. So the gospel is this good news about salvation through Jesus, but notice how this plays out. Verse 1, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first important that which I also received. So here's the gospel pattern. First, we receive the message. We receive the message. Second, we stand in the message. Stand means stand firm. It means convinced. It means believing. It means unmoving. The message is proclaimed. We receive it. And those who receive it stand in it. We cling to it. Our hope is Christ and nothing else. I stand in Jesus. I cling to Jesus. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling to Jesus. So we receive the message. We stand in the message. And then we're transformed by the message. Paul says, the, it is by which you are being saved. And what he's, mean, what he's saying there is that this message of Christ is the power that changes everything about us. It changes us from death to life. It changes us from enemy to friend. It changes us to rebel against God, to accept a child of God. And as we stand in it, we're transformed by it. Fourth, we remain in it. We remain in it. So we receive the message, we stand in the message, we're transformed by the message, and we keep standing in Christ. We remain in it. The word remain here is not a, a lazy word. It's a call to vigilance, to defending and active, into active clinging. Paul is saying, stand in Christ, remain in Him. Look nowhere else. Christ is your everything. Cling to Him. And then we share the message. So we receive, we stand, we're transformed, we keep standing, and we share. Paul says, I delivered to you what I received. So note this gospel pattern. God sends a messenger. And a messenger proclaims what? The good news of Christ, dead, buried, and risen from the dead as a hope of salvation. And this proclaimed good news is received, it's believed, we cling to it, we're transformed by it, and then we become a part of the plan of God where others hear the message as we share what we have received. And so this gospel pattern was the pattern of the apostles. They all saw the Lord. They were sent to proclaim what they had received so that others could likewise receive and believe and stand and be saved. 
And then those would likewise share what they've received so that others could receive and believe and stand and be transformed. This was the pattern of the early church. This is the pattern of the church. This is the pattern of our discipleship. The risen Lord is the center of the gospel, but the risen Lord started a gospel pattern where those who receive, believe, and are transformed, and then they preach. And we receive, and we believe, and we're transformed, and then we preach. This is the gospel pattern. So I just, as we conclude, I just want to ask kind of, where are you in this pattern? Perhaps today, for the first time, you need to receive. Perhaps today you're hearing for the first time that you are a sinful person and God has sent His Son to take away your sin. So if you're hearing and receiving for the first time, I would ask you this. Would you call upon Jesus and believe in Him and be saved? And if you'd like to move in that direction, we'd love to help you. Please please let us help you. Second, we need to stand in the gospel. We don't get to pick and choose the parts that we like. We stand in the totality of it. So so where are you, you wavering? Where do you need to stand? Third, we're transformed by the gospel. So, so where do we need to ask for the Lord to be transforming us and, and changing us to be more like Him? Fourth, we share the gospel. We who receive are called to share. Friends, we all need to be pushed on this one. How could we learn to speak freely about what the risen Lord has done for us? The reality is our message is of God's grace and our hope is in Him. So much so that Paul would say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. What I want for all of us today is to see the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus as our hope, and to see this message of our hope as a a reality that, that shapes who we are, gives us our identity, and sends us into his world as messengers and heralds of his good news. Now, this message is just intended to kind of go over the surface. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to slow down on different elements of what we've talked about today. But we have a gospel message and a gospel pattern. Let's find ourselves in Christ, and in this message. Father, I pray now that you would take your words and you would teach them to your people. Pray you would help us. Whatever work needs to be done 
in us and through us today. I pray that you would do it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.